All right, take your Bibles, if you will. Turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, and we want to pick up really where we left off this morning and uh, give you part two of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, and we'll look at verses 12 through 15 uh, this evening. There are a great many uh, distortions of the Holy Spirit's ministry that abound in our day. Various media, through the media, there's churches that continually find themselves bombarded with non-biblical ideas concerning truth about the Holy Spirit. Entire movements in the so-called Christian realm have been based on a false understanding of the Holy Spirit. A number of years ago, there was a conference called the National Symposium on the Post-Denominational Church. Sounds interesting, right? Uh, might even sound a bit strange to us, but it had a lineup, some well-known leaders from across the country, uh, many of them uh, with media ministries, TV ministries. And the thing, is inter- the, the thing that's interesting about this conference was that it presupposed the idea that there would be revelations at the meeting. So all the attendees could be inspired to move with the flow of the Holy Spirit. And the aim of that statement was that the Spirit would be leading with these new revelations which churches were to follow. And many of them, the speakers there, were known for their extra biblical revelations. You may ask, well, okay, pastor, what's the problem with that? Well, why should a, something that like that concern us? And I think that's a, those are fair questions. But I would propose to you that we must be concerned about what is being passed off as new revelations because eventually they find their way into independent churches like ours. And if we're not discerning, we too could be swept up by the tide of the teaching that has really no biblical authority and which would ultimately lead us into bondage. Now, with that in mind, I think it's important for us to have a clear biblical grasp of what God has spoken about the Holy Spirit. And that's what we find here in John chapter 16. Uh, It's especially true of the revealing work of the Spirit. And as you know, there are cult groups that have formed on the basis of someone claiming to have a revelation. Uh, Joseph Smith claimed to have a revelation from the angel Morani, and the golden tablets became the Book of Mormon. Multiplied millions have followed this heretical revelation. Uh, I was uh, uh, pastoring in a little town uh, some years ago, and uh, uh, one of the ladies from the Pentecostal church said, you should have been in our church uh, uh, Sunday night. Boy, the spirit was really moving. Well, uh, I guess they had some... some uh, foot tap and music and some, you know, some stuff that uh, really uh, didn't have anything to do with uh, the Bible. And I thought to myself, well, there might have been a spirit there, but I don't think it was the Holy Spirit. Now, no doubt of a, many of us will remember, some of the older folks here remember men like Jim Baker, 
and Jimmy Swaggart, and now even more recent Beth Moore, and many others. I you know I can't even name the multitude of so-called Bible teachers, but they're Bible false teachers, really. But they believe in extra biblical revelation. There was even Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade. Uh, he was respected by many. But he fell prey to this idea of new revelations, not grounded in the Scripture. He had a book entitled The Coming Revival, America's Call to Fast, Pray, and Seek God's Face. Uh, sounds like a good uh, uh, title, but is really the story of God's revelations to him while he was on a 40-day fast. He was saying God spoke to him, and he was giving these new revelations. You know, listen, folks. God has spoken, and it's all here right now. There's nothing new to be to be received. Uh, we have enough problem getting into this book, let alone all the new revelations. But I think all of this is extremely dangerous because it places our future in the hands of a person who has subjective de- declarations of revelation. Uh, and it is as if there is not enough scripture to speak to every need that we have in every situation we find. As I said, we have God's perfect, complete revelation before us on our, in our book, uh, in our Bibles. It's strange that so many of these so-called revelations lead people away from the centrality of the cross of Christ and into some, some kind of a subjective experience. And the strange thing is that multitudes of professing Christians are following these men and women and their revelations and leaving the word of God behind. So we need to understand what Jesus is saying to us about the Holy Spirit in these passages here in John's Gospel. We're not talking about some vague ideas or philosophies which are optional for us as Christians. We're looking at some truth that is essential for us in going on in obedience and faithfulness to our wonderful Lord. So what does the Holy Spirit do in this area of revelation? Does the Holy Spirit... Uh, still, uh, is he still in the business of revealing things? Well, I think we can say that he is in the business of re- revealing things, but it's not revealing new revelations. It's re- revealing what God has given to us in his word. So notice, first of all, the necessity of the Holy Spirit as a revealer. Paul addresses the need for divine revelation in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, He points out that in our natural or unregenerate state, we cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. But he points out that spiritual things can only be understood by spiritual means. He says, therefore, uh, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we may, might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And he adds that it's not physical abilities or mental abilities of a person that enable us to understand and grasp the truth of God, but God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. And on that occasion, when Jesus asked the disciples who they uh, uh, thought He was, you remember... Peter responded, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus quickly turned to him and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And so the whole point of spiritual truth must be revealed to us before we can really truly understand it and grasp it. 
So notice here, first of all, the uniqueness of divine truth. The uniqueness of divine truth. Look look here in chapter 16, verse 12. He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. The question we might ask is, what things? Uh, what are uh, what were the things that Jesus wanted to say to his disciples? Uh, he had already stated in John fifteen fifteen, all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Now, how could there be more? Well, the point Christ I think is driving home is that all, of all the revelation of Himself to the disciples over the three years that they had walked with Him, there was much more to fully explain uh, all these things. Uh, the labors of the apostles and their close associates during the first century would give us some unique truths concerning Christ. And we call that, uh, as it was put together, the rest of the New Testament. Those were the things that he hadn't revealed to them at that point. But now, uh, as uh, time would go on there in the first century, uh, the epistles simply would expand and explain what the Gospels recorded. And combine that with the Old Testament, we have the Word of God to us. Uh, What better way to understand the Word of God than to have the divine author, the Holy Spirit, teaching us? You know, when we consider the uniqueness of divine truth, then we can get a better, uh, we can better see the need for the revealing work of the Spirit. God's truth is unlike any truth in the universe. Now, no doubt we have. Uh, represented here tonight. I'm sure we have uh, various uh, uh, people that are proficient in uh, various disciplines. Uh, We could even call them disciplines of truth. Uh, Some people here know are experts, okay? We've got expert trapper. Uh, We've got expert uh, woodsman. We've got expert uh, uh, HVAC people here. We've got uh, expert mechanics here. Uh, now you say, well, is that truth? Well, if, if it runs, it is. Right? Right, Sam? <laughs> if it runs, uh, then it, it becomes truth in a sense. Uh, but some of you may have some mathematical skill, skills. Others you, of you don't, and you're working on that, right? Uh, but some of you are skilled in business. Uh, you can uh, work with the facts and the figures, and you can make things happen. Uh, some of you, no doubt, have attended classes sometimes to stay up to date on your particular area or skill of work. I uh, don't know of any. Do we have any doctors? And I haven't know of any doctors in our church, but uh, 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 I'm not a doctor. I'm not even a nurse, but uh, we don't have any doctors. I don't know if we have any Anybody studied law here? Uh, well, no lawyers here. But that takes a lot of years of study, right? A lot of years of study. Prepare for those disciplines. But you know, when it comes to grasping divine truth, not even the study at an academic level is really adequate to absorb it. Maybe you've been to Bible college and you've uh, spent many, many hours listening to lectures by professors. You've written papers. You've spent hours in the library. You still need the Holy Spirit. You don't, you can't just do it through academics. You know, a person can have advanced degrees in the study of the a Bible or theology. I tell young people, you'll never 
get out of school. Some of the people are looking forward to graduation. Sam's going to graduate here. And uh, yet, you know what? School's not over. All right? You may go to college. School's not over. You may go to grad school. School's not over. I've been in school for many, many years now. And if we're going to learn something from God's Word, we've got to study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. You never get out of school. God's truth requires divine work for sinful men to grasp, and rightly so, for we are not talking about the works of Shakespeare or Newton or Einstein. Uh, those men were mere mortals who though they were great geniuses and they had a particular uh, skill in their particular area, we're talking about the Word of God, the Bible. This book is God-breathed. It's a living, active, powerful book. It's the revelation of the Almighty Creator of the universe to His creation. Now, while there's plenty of inspirational and motivational books in the world, and I have a whole wall full of books in my study. You know, the best book in there, though, is this one. I mean, I'd give you all those books for this book. When we consider what the Bible reveals about God and how we can know a God who found, is found in the record of Scripture, we must realize that it contains depths that we cannot fathom in a thousand lifetimes. Uh, we can spend our whole life studying this book and we'll never master it. None of those millions of books can fully explain the Bible, nor can all the millions of books put together collectively. It is a divine book that contains all that we need to know and understand about God, His eternal plan, His redemptive work, and the way we are to live and the things we're to do. And much, much, much more. And so there's a uniqueness about the divine truth of God's Word. Secondly, we talk about the capacity of the human mind. Now Jesus told the disciples, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. You know, the idea of bear, that's not the bear that runs around in the woods here. But the idea of bear simply means to understand. You cannot understand them. In a common vernacular, Jesus could not unload the whole wagon because the disciples could not handle it. I had a man, uh, a leader of a church, uh, tell me one time as I was, uh, I was kind of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word I want to... Trying out, I said, <laughs> that's the only thing I was trying out to, to be a, uh, an assistant pastor in this church, a music uh, minister. And I, I uh, led the singing, I sang some songs, I had the congregation sing some different songs and, and, and so forth. I was kind of really showing them all the things I could do, you know. And the fellow came up to me afterwards, he says, you know, uh, all you had to do is just throw off one bale. You didn't need to give us the whole wagon load. One bale would have been enough. But this book is an important book, and it's Jesus is saying here in what he was telling the disciples, I can't unload the whole wagon for you right now. You wouldn't be able to handle it. 
And so it's necessary for the Holy Spirit to gradually bring these disciples along in their understanding of truth. And I think that's important for us to know too. We don't learn it all as a freshman in college. Sometimes the freshmen think they know it all. But then they get to their senior year and they say, boy, well, that went by fast. Now, what? I don't know. What do I know? And then they get out in the ministry and they say, really, I don't know anything now. Our minds are amazing in terms of their capacity. We can gather information. We can retrieve it. We can put it to use uh, with all the marvels of uh, modern technology, with computers. We can still not, uh, they, the computers can still not rival the human mind. Yet with all the great minds of the earth, without the aid of the Holy Spirit, man cannot grasp the spiritual. Uh, there's another factor that's very practical, I think, at this point. Our minds can observe so much at one time. And uh, I think you've probably all been to a, a service or a lecture or a seminar. Uh, if you've ever been to the, some of those seminars that last all day long, I mean, Ed has probably been to a few, and uh, probably Jeff, and you're... you're uh, getting tired of sitting all day long and you're taking notes and you're listening and uh, we can't we can't observe everything you know it's like uh, uh, sometimes you get go to these seminars or you go to these conferences I go to conferences and it's like uh, drinking out of a fire hydrant sometimes it's coming at you so fast and furious you know there's so much and there's so much our tired minds can uh, can try to absorb what is taught. But the disciples could not grasp everything that Jesus wanted them to know. And they were humanly incapable of absorbing in three short years the wealth of spiritual riches that he had to unfold to them. Now, I I find a lot of encouragement in this verse 12 here. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. I'd like to know a lot more than I do know. But maybe the Lord has a sense that, you know, you can't handle all this right now. See, someone who seems to be grasping truth at a rapid pace, and perhaps your pace is even slower. You know, we all learn at different rates. And we must not despise those who learn faster, but rejoice with them and encourage them to help us along the way. Uh, We must be patient even with ourselves, and yet also persistent in seeking to know the truth of God's Word. It's vital that we pursue the truth of God's Word since we're drinking from a vast ocean of spiritual living waters. Some can gulp, others can only sip. But let's all drink, okay? Whether you gulp it or you sip it, let's all drink it. Drink deeply from the riches of the Word of God. Now, the second thing we notice here is the work of the Holy Spirit as revealer. We see the revealing work of the Spirit quite immediately in the book of Acts. You uh, have noticed how things that baffled the disciples, such as the cross and the resurrection, suddenly become the whole center of their lives. The things that Christ spoke about in the parables, oh, the light goes on, they're living precepts now. Because that's due to the Holy Spirit who revealed the word to them. 
Jesus had already identified the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Truth. You remember that uh, in our study in the past. It's a title which so meshes with Him, with truth and revelation, that we readily see that we cannot know truth apart from Him. John fourteen sixteen reminds us that the world cannot receive the Spirit of Truth or know Him. It is specifically given to the child of God to bring that believer along in his understanding of the things of God. So how does the Spirit reveal? Well, as one who guides. As one who guides. There are really two key words that are used here in this text to reveal the work of the Spirit. The first one is, He will guide you into all the truth. The word guide implies someone who shows you the way. It's the word that pictures a guide, maybe introducing a traveler to an unknown country. You can understand this if you've ever been on a trip to a museum or into a foreign country and you have to follow the guide. You're glad you have a guide sometimes. Uh, You're dependent upon the guide to show you what to do, where to go, uh, what to avoid, what is appropriate, what is impolite, what certain things mean. If you go to a foreign land and it's a beautiful land, it's a wonderful sight, things that you've never seen before, So the guide there is essential to understanding the land, enjoying the country, getting the most benefit out of it, and seeing what the country is all about. Now, I hope we see what our Lord meant here by the Holy Spirit guiding us into all the the truth. As our guide, uh, He brings us along in the journey with the truth of God's Word. As we step into the depths of Scripture... Uh, We're not going to go there alone. The Spirit is showing us uh, the the radiance of the Word, uh, the life-giving doctrines that we can fully know our Lord. The author has come along to direct us so that we can see these truths, we can understand what He's given to us. Now, we must realize the notion of guidance into all truth has nothing to do with privileged information pertaining to one's choice of vocation or mate, uh, but with understanding God as He's revealed Himself and obeying that revelation. Some people are more interested in knowing all kinds of subjective, temporal ideas, rather than understanding the living God in all His fullness. And the Spirit comes along to reveal the true intent of the Scripture, that is, knowing God. Now the Spirit guides where He has already spoken in His Word. He's not going to guide us in contradiction to the written Word of God. His revelation to the heart is going to be in concert with the written revelation. And that's where some people go wrong. They claim to have a revelation from God. Something termed as, oh, I got a word from God. Be careful whenever you hear someone say that. The Lord spoke to me. Now, I know we use that terminology sometimes when we say we've been reading the word and the word kind of, you know, shows us something. But be careful with that. Sometimes people don't actually mean what you and I would mean. But they're saying, you know, I got a word from God. And the word may contradict what's written in God, his, his, his book. It may be a revelation, but it's not from the Holy Spirit. If it goes against the written word of God. 
Now the very language of the text shows the intent of the Spirit's work. He will guide you where? Into all the truth. Uh, that picture is a journey through the Word, where the uh, with the Spirit explaining and directing to certain portions and amplifying and expanding. You know, I've always said the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. You want to find out what the Bible says, find out what the Bible says about that. Are you enjoying the journey of the Holy Spirit as your guide through God's Word? Call to Him and Help, uh, ask Him to help you uh, to, and to guide you into the truth of God's Word. Ask Him to teach you the Word of God. I think those are good prayers to pray. But then there's also as one who proclaims. There's a second word here that's used to describe this revealing work of the Spirit. It's the word show. Now in the uh, King James Bible, it's S-H-E-W. But uh, that's still show. As we know it, and he will show you things to come. He will, he shall glorify you for he shall be received. He shall receive a mind and shall show it unto you. All things that the father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Now this repetition of this word and as of any word, I think just adds strength to its usage. It's found here in our text three times. Uh, the word show carries the idea of announcement or a revelatory declaration, uh, perhaps best uh, put as a repeated announcement. Sometimes we need things repeated, don't we? We don't get it the first time, <clears throat> but we need it repeated. And so that's the idea here, a repeated announcement. <coughs> uh, it has... It's bringing to surface those obscure truths that the disciples could not see while they were walking with Christ. And we certainly need to be told things over and over. Uh, sometimes because we don't hear them or we're not listening. Specifically, when he shows or declares things to come, it's an obvious reference to those events that are going to take place after these words were spoken. So all that would take place in the Lord's uh, uh, crucifixion and that week where he was uh, uh, crucified or went to trial and then was crucified and was buried. All the judicial work of the cross, all the life-giving power of the resurrection, all the glory of the ascension of Christ were things they didn't really understand at that time. But in the days ahead, the Holy Spirit was going to begin to reveal what Christ had foretold to his disciples so that these words now would make sense. Yes, those words would become life and food for them. The Holy Spirit has a unique way of speaking the Word of God in our minds, in our hearts. You know, we can read a passage of Scripture a thousand times, maybe. We can read it over and over, and all at once, it's suddenly, there's something brand new there. I've never seen that there before. But I've read the Bible through many, many times. I've read that passage many, many times. But then all of a sudden, it is aimed squarely at my heart. And we see it as we've never seen it before. We drink from its fountain. We apply its healing balm. We refresh our, our hungry hearts. We give ourselves to obedience. And this comes from the disclosing or the proclaiming work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've neglected the spirit of truth, who alone can reveal the word of truth to you, 
uh, or you're grieving the Holy Spirit by slothfulness or neglect of the word, or you're quenching his urgings through the preaching and teaching of the word of God, you need to ask him to speak to your heart and your mind. You need to read the word with expectancy, with a heart to obey fully and completely. And you need to thank him for being the one who guides you and proclaims the truth of the word to you. There's a third area, and that's the aim of the Holy Spirit as revealer. When we consider the Trinity, we must realize that each person of the Godhead has specific uh, functions or roles in the redemptive activity. Uh, For instance, when it comes to our salvation, the Father sent the Son. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. The Father sent the Son. And what did the Son? He came to die to do a redeeming work uh, through His atoning work. And then the Holy Spirit applies the work of redemption personally and individually. And while Jesus personally taught His disciples during His earthly ministry, that continuing work of teaching was now going to be given over to the Holy Spirit. Christ revealed truth to the disciples while He walked with them, But now, when he's leaving, he's going to be gone. He's not going to be with them. The Holy Spirit is going to reveal truth to his disciples. And as we think of the Spirit's office as revealer, there are a couple of things that we should uh, see here in our text. Number one is to show the unity of the Godhead. Uh, There's no disunity in the Godhead. Uh, There's no argument between uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're in perfect unison. They're in absolute cooperation. And it's a wonderful symmetry there. On several occasions earlier in John's gospel, Jesus had pointed out that he could do nothing unless it was granted by the Father, nor could he speak unless he first heard the Father speak. In John chapter 14 and verse 10, he says, The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father which dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. In chapter 12, verse 49 and 50, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment which I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. In chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And He hath sent me, He that hath sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. You see, in God's plan, God's Son submitted to all that the Father said and spoke. Jesus gave glory always to the Father for all the words and the works He gave Him to speak and to do. Later on, we get to the next chapter. In chapter 17, we find the high priestly prayer uh, uh, of the Lord Jesus as He prayed to the Father. And He said, I have glorified Thee on earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest Me to do. He was constantly glorifying the Father in all He did. And the Holy Spirit began His permanent work among believers. He wasn't acting apart from the Godhead. All that He does is in perfect unity with the Father and the Son. 
That's why our Lord states and restates that this Holy Spirit shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. In addition, as Christ did not speak on his own initiative, the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own initiative. Verse 13, look at it. It says, Howbeit he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. Jesus is assuring us that these words, uh, that the mess, uh, in these words, that the message of the Holy Spirit is absolutely divine, totally follows the unity of the Trinity. He's not delivering a man-made message to us, but it's the very word of God, just as Christ himself delivered to the disciples the word of God. And then the second aspect of the aim of the Holy Spirit as a revealer is to glorify the Son. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. That phrase at the beginning there, He shall glorify me. All that the Holy Spirit does brings glory to Jesus Christ in the same way that all that Jesus Christ did on the earth brings glory to the Father. And rightly so, for the Holy Spirit continually reveals Jesus Christ in all of his fullness and glory and majesty to us. For he shall receive a mind and shall show it unto you. Do you long to understand the depth of Christ's divine personhood and the totality of his redemptive work? The Holy Spirit unfolds these truths to us through the word of God. He guides us into all truth concerning Christ and speaks that truth to our minds and to our hearts so that just as the hearts of the two disciples, you remember the two disciples that had uh, their hearts burned within them as they were on the Emmaus road uh, with the risen Christ and as they, he spoke to them. And so the Holy Spirit can burn the truth uh, uh, concerning Christ in us. Our hearts uh, will flame with new love for Christ. We'll have a new passion for following Him, a new delight in worshiping Him, a new obedience to His every command. He shall glorify me. Now what does that phrase mean? He shall glorify me. Well, I came across this explanation of what this means. It shall He shall glorify me. It points uh, that out... Uh, This explanation points out that this glorifying of Christ in a person's life is a process. Uh, I want you to note the process is not the process of salvation. Okay? You don't just gradually get saved over time. There is a point in time when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're saved. But the process of glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ is a process. It's a, it's a process of transformation. It takes time. Notice what this, how this process works. First, there's the bringing of the sinner to humility. Uh, the Spirit humbles and uncrowns the pride of self before he glorifies, uh, or the sinner uh, humbles and uncrowns the pride of self before he glorifies Jesus. He awakens grief, which none but Jesus can satisfy. Uh, he inflicts a wound, which none but Jesus can heal. He creates a void in the soul, which none but Jesus can fill up. And so in a word, he brings the sinner to such a place that none but Jesus can meet the condition of that soul. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. There's only one way to the Father, that's through Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit will bring the sinner to a place of humility. Secondly, he'll show that Jesus meets the sinner's need. 
Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior, almighty to save unto the uttermost, all that come unto Him, uh, uh, unto God through Him, and He's willing as He's able. What a glorifying of Jesus is this, when the Spirit of God opens our minds, our blind eyes, to see the glory and the all-sufficiency and the suitableness of Christ as our Savior. And then thirdly, causing the sinner to give himself to Christ. The natural response of the soul that has met Christ in saving power is to bend the knee to him gladly as the king of his life. The Spirit opens our closed hearts to receive the king of glory, to rest in him, his righteousness and his grace day by day. Leads the believer to a life of faith. He does not lead him to Christ in faith, then cast that poor soul to depend upon himself through his works through life. No, he brings the soul to rest in Christ and his sufficiency in all things. Number five, he transforms the soul into Christ's image. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit does not rest until the image of Christ radiates through us in every way. And then number six, he enables the believer to active service. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus by enabling his people to render active service and perhaps also even to suffer for his sake. Now, we don't like to think about that, but that's a part many times of many Christians' lives, to suffer for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the characteristics. These are the qualities. These are the works of the Holy Spirit in bringing glory to Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit has come to reveal the living Christ to us. I wonder, are you asking him to do that revealing work in you? tonight? Uh, Will you approach the Word of God with a renewed consciousness that this is a divine book, it has a divine author who has come to you through salvation and through the indwelling Spirit of God to reveal to you and in you these wonderful truths. Perhaps Jesus Christ is foreign to someone here tonight as far as a relationship or an experience. Call upon the Spirit of God to show you this Christ, make his glorious person and power to save, uh, be uh, known to you. Plead with him to uh, glorify Jesus Christ in your life by humbling yourself, showing you your sin and revealing to you the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Let's bow in prayer.